There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Book of the Week, what you should be reading. Right, so our book of the week today is The Institute by Stephen King, which Alex is waving (laughs) up in the air at the moment. But it doesn't have the dust jacket on, Alex. Okay, the dust jacket. There we go, there we go. Fiona's got got that. Okay. Um, So it's his latest novel. It's about a sinister governmental governmental facility that came out a couple of weeks ago. Have you already got your copy? You can let us know what you thought. But reviewing it for us live on the show today is freelance writer and voracious reader Fiona de Vivier. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so Fiona, if I read directly from the marketing material on the publisher page, right. it says, from the number one New York Times bestselling author Stephen King, the most riveting an unforgettable story of kids confronting evil since it publishing just as the second part of it the movie lands in theaters excellent marketing timing yes no doubt yeah. but do you agree with it let's start there um oh i don't oh i hadn't I hadn't thought about it from yeah. that. i obviously hadn't read the blurb um i having not watched it which I was part of my homework for today's session, but I did try, and unfortunately, it was very scary. Um, I, it's a very different ball game. This is not a scary book. I mean, it is a scary book in terms of the thinking about the fact that these things could could are true and what could happen. But it's not a, you're not going to be scared. It's 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 one of his kind of novels that's very sort of. I mean, it's a very good book, but yeah, it's it's not. You're not going to jump when you read it or anything. So I think I'm not sure that's the, like the best. That's a promotional comparison, I think. To, to tie which is in what you would there. expect, but I, I yeah. kind of think when you come when it comes to Stephen King, because he's had so many books, and you associate him with things like Carrie, with mm. It, The Shining, you associate him with horror, and, and this book, if you were looking for it, like all of his others, would be under the horror slash thriller category. And I mm. was a little bit so. Full disclosure. So you haven't seen it, the film. I will never see that because I'm a total scaredy cat. I was terrified going into reading this book. This is my first ever Stephen King novel. <gasps> wow. wow. Amazing. And I'm probably going to get lots of awful messages about <laughs> how has it taken you this long? I've had a lot of books to read, guys. Um, you do read a lot. It's okay. It's okay. I, do, I, do, I do read a lot. But I think if you're looking but for... But it's not scary, though. You didn't find it... I didn't find it scary no, no. at all. Um, I think... Oh, Stranger Things assume. is a good analogy for this book in terms of like a sinister governmental facility yeah. doing tests on children that have psychic abilities because that's yes, kind of the the first season, yeah. The the main kind of hook for the story. Yeah, and you, it, it even goes further with the Stranger Things analogy because you also have a rogue cop as well. Yes. So yep. it's really interesting talking to Joan just beforehand the fact that uh, the the creators of Stranger Things were influenced by Stand by Me, which of course is one of Stephen King's new earliest books. Mm, I of didn't all. know that. They were influenced by Stand by Me, but it's also like he now is being influenced by them. It's almost like he watched Stranger Things and then a year later it sort of percolated <laughs> down through his brain and he's come up with a his kind of version of Stranger Things and Stranger Things like yours is is, is one of my favourite shows ever mm. I absolutely love it I love it yeah. so it, I kept for me it was really kind of difficult to, I kept seeing the Stranger Things characters I kept thinking you kept waiting about for Eleven to pop in I kept to the story. 11. if Eleven could just come in now and save everything it would be great <laughs> 
But yeah, I think people think Stephen King's very sort of one-dimensional and, you know, all he not. does is scary yeah. and that's actually not true. Mm. Um, he is a, he's a very talented writer and there were a lot of elements in this book that I thought were very cleverly done. For instance, he makes a load of pop culture and news references that I think really draw you into the book because when, you know, he talks about Game of Thrones and he talks mm. about Trump and all these sort of things and, the, so, you know, that, pl- that places you in the story, which I think is, is very good. But I actually think a lot of his... I mean, I've seen The Shining and things like, you know, like quite a lot of his movies, but he actually has this sort of a much subtler way of creeping you out in terms of subjects like this book, which isn't scary in a fright way, but in a kind of, oh my God, if this is the world we live in way, and it's entirely possible that it is. Um, and so he's done that with a lot of, um, you know, some of the things that, I mean, misery fundamentally just... I mean, he's terrifying. Oh my Misery goodness. is absolutely but terrifying, and it is jumpy, scary as well. Yeah. But it yeah. is—it's—it's it, a lot more subtle. I mean, Kathy Bates hobbling James Caan mm. was one of the most defining moments of my childhood in a very, very frightening <laughs> way, and I still can't watch that bit of the movie because it's that horrible, and it gives me the shivers when I think about it. Um, but he's also done things like. Mr. Mercedes was a recent TV show that came out. And again, not jumpy scary, but more, which is about a sort of serial killer. And it's it's much more subtle, much more nuanced, much more about kind of the psychology of humanity and how you kind of don't need the jumping to be scary because actually there's normal people around that make life quite scary enough, which I think is very clever. And I think a lot of people just assume he's, you know, the shining and, and it. And actually it's there's a lot more to it. So- for me, actually, Carrie is probably his scariest. I find that a terrifying book. It is, yeah. It's it's very... I mean, he's very talented the way he does it. And I think with all of them, I think, you know, he is able to kind of... You can relate to all the stories. You know, there's always something in there that you can... That makes... And even this one, which obviously includes children with sort of psychic abilities and that, it's such a relatable story. And, I mean, I find myself Googling things going... Is that a real, you know, hmm. like is, uh, how much of this is real? Hmm. Um, you know, and I mean, people talk about, even if you're not like a crazy conspiracy theorist, people talk about deep state and, you know, men behind the curtain all the time. And, you know, the, there's no reason to believe that there isn't things like this that exist. We've had a text in saying, I could only read The Shining with a friend in daylight age 15, but it was brilliant. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people had similar yep. experiences with some of his books. Now, you were speaking about, you know, doing research and figuring out how much of this could actually happen and that, that he's very good at mm. at scaring you in, in different ways, mm. not necessarily taking the obvious, yeah. like, scary clown route, shall we say. Um, here he is talking about his inspiration for the book. When I started this book, I just wanted to write a story about defenseless children uh, who were locked up and had to kind of band together mm. in order to fight these cruel adults that are performing tests on them. I was thinking a little bit about the CIA experiments in the early 50s, and I was also thinking about uh, the horrible experiments that were performed on people in the, in the camps during World yes. War II. So a lot of real-world inspiration mm. behind that. And also, if you look at various interviews, both in print and, uh, and various, you know, TV shows, um, morning shows in in the states, he he talks about the fact that halfway through writing this book, everything with um, children being interned in America mm. happened. Mm. So those internment camps, and he realised that it was more a situation where uh, life imitating art rather than mm. the other way around, which he thought was interesting. So all of these yeah. things kind of played into that. Absolutely. And I think there are so many kind of themes to the book that are 
not only based in reality, but are, as you say, reflected in society as we live. I mean, obviously, we know that the Nazis did horrendous experiments on children and adults, um, and quite a few of them in pursuit of supposedly psychic powers. Um, they certainly believed that they were, they were possible and they existed. And, I, I, you know, obviously, I don't think anyone could deny that there are certain people who are cognizant of other things than others, you know, instinct, whatever it might be. And maybe there are people that have actual, you know, can move things or that's where we're headed in terms of evolution. Um, but it's also about the capacity that humans have to de- to become desensitized to horrors, to um, their ability to co- inflict pain on others, sometimes in pursuit of the greater good and is there such a thing can you ever justify certain things in that way which is a theme that I think a lot of people are dealing with in terms of stories and shows at the moment and you know whether it's you know if you could kill one person and save a million is it worth doing Um, and then also the capacity of people just to go along with the status quo and uh, or to be a bit psychotic, which some of them obviously are, <laughs> the children like that. Um, we reached out on social media, various social media platforms, to ask people what the last book or character was that truly scared them. Mm. And I was expecting a million answers that basically said it or Carrie or mm-hmm. Misery. We did have one person say Misery by Stephen King. We also had, as I mentioned earlier, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell, which was a book we mentioned earlier, because of the way it shows how easy it is to be deceived by people you think you know. Mm -hmm. House of Leaves by Mark Danielewski. Sylvia says, I find dystopian books such as 1984 and Brave New World pretty scary. I think a lot of us can agree with that one. Nora brings up Edgar Allan Poe's short stories. He's quite creepy. Yeah. Um, And finally, author Bethana Alyssa got in touch. Um, She says, Last Witnesses by Svetlana Alexievich, which is a history of children's experiences during the Second World War across Russia, Mm, um, is particularly scary. And that's the book that she chose to respond with, which has obvious themes here to Mm. this story and what we've just been talking about, you know, trauma robbing children of their childhoods. That is terrifying to read about. Absolutely. And I think, obviously, if you read a scary novel or you watch a scary film and you jump and, you know, you kind of get a fright, which I hate. I'm so skittish. It's such a bad idea for me to watch those things. You you know, you kind of get over it and you, you know, turn the lights on and music off sort of things. But when you read a book that deals with themes or subject matters that could happen to you, could be happening around you, could be happening to people that you know or in some ways are, that's far more terrifying and will stay with you for much, much longer. I mean, books like this one, books like uh, the Malcolm Gadwell, you know, you find yourself talking to people about them for days and weeks afterwards because it's made you think about, Mm. you know, is this going on? Is something happening? What can I do? You know, how can you protect yourself? And I remember hearing... um, Oh my God, the, 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 one of the UK's most prolific um, sort of crime writers, and her name escapes me, it's going to really annoy me. She did a Desert Island Discs a few years ago, and she was talking about, um, and it's all about, you know, detect- there's Linda a murder. Plant, or? Mm, no, it's going to annoy me. Okay. Anyway, she's written about 70 of them or something like that. They're all sort of detective <laughs> novels. But um, she was saying that she was asked why she thought the genre was so popular, and she said, because, you know, one of the things she said is because people can sort of see it from a distance, but also feel like 
that's they're worried about that sort of thing happening. And you know, so if they think they think if they read about it and they can put it down, maybe it's kind of okay. But it does always make you think. Alan has got in touch to say the man who loved Rita Hayworth is possibly one of Stephen King's greatest stories and one of the few to be truly translated to film. Interesting. Agree with that. However, the Dark Tower series probably has to be his greatest work. I gather that was not well translated to screen. No, it by. wasn't. It's one of the. I think it's one of the common examples of films that you know, did, mm. were terribly adapted. We were talking about the fact that this, Stephen King is obviously a phenomenally gifted storyteller mm. um, and, uh, and uh, you know, one of great variety as well, everything from, you know, the Green Mile to Carrie to everything in between. Um, and he weaves a very good story, but we were discussing whether or not he is what one would call a great writer. Um, obviously, he's very talented, certainly in story making, and he's obviously a, a good writer, but whether he's a, a great writer. And I mentioned that I think it's a lot easier for everyone to kind of conclude that, you know, the stories and themes and the messages are, you know, pretty superb. But defining whether he's a great writer or not is far more, you know, is much more subjective. So you could have two people that really enjoyed reading a book because they really loved the story, but one person perhaps didn't quite like the style in which it was written or the way in which the, you know, the words, the sentences were strung together. And I mentioned that as an example, um, I am not a fan of Celia Ahern as a writer, and I actually think she's really awful. <laughs> it's okay to have these opinions, though. It's kind of why I wanted you to mention it, because this is a safe space. A safe space. No judgment. Totally. Because I, I loved the movie, and I can actually answer that question, but I'm obviously not allowed to. Um, but uh, So that's why I went and read the book. And, and I read a lot of... I've read a huge diverse amount of things, and I'm quite happy to pick up, you know, holiday books and... You know, I've read a lot of uh, Leanne Moriarty's loads, you know, those, um, everything like that. Mm -hmm. Not a problem. And I thought I would love it. And I picked it up and I got about, oh, I don't think I even made it to the third chapter. I was mm. so, cr and I was so cross. I was actually, I felt betrayed because I really loved the movie and the book really let me down. Um, but yes, it definitely, I mean, you know, that it, the story is still great, but that unfortunately for me, the writing in that case was too bad for me to continue with the book. Well, I've, got, I've got to say I felt the same when I read, I picked up the first page of a Dan Brown book, it's, I felt exactly the same. <laughs> oh, no. Well, yeah, I mean, he's definitely not the world's greatest writer. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's, an interesting, it's, a, it's an interesting idea about storytellers versus great novelists, if you like. I mean, mm. if you talk about mm. Peter Carey or Bruce Chatwin or, you know, some of my favourite authors, George Orwell. I mean, you can sit there and you can look at one paragraph for an hour and go, my God, that is the most beautiful paragraph. And you know, sometimes you find yourself rereading it because exactly. you're like, oh, I really like so the way. Well Especially yeah. as a, because my profession's writing. So I'm constantly stealing words. You know, I'll be like, oh, God, I haven't heard that word for ages. Oh, I'm going to put that in something I'm writing next. And, you know, you see phrases and quotes and things and you just think, God, that's really... Um, and I'm now saying that and I'm thinking I didn't have that feeling in this book, which doesn't necessarily mean I, I actually... I do think he's a, talent, a very talented writer, but I, I do... I'm, I'm, I'm with you on, is, is he a great one? No, I think it's interesting mm. because I, I went in... I hadn't read P.S. I Love You. So when I went into reading Postscript, I expected to find it the way the cover portrays it. Right. Okay. It's got a very nice cover, actually. I just had a look. Yeah. And I was pleasantly surprised because I think I think that it depends how you class great writing. Because for me, great writing is being able to convey dark and complex subject matter that is difficult to express. Things like grief and loss in an accessible way that makes you think, yeah, I get that. I feel you. And where you feel like the author is actually talking to you 
one-on-one and that is the feeling that I got from Postscript yeah. I don't maybe PS I Love You was different I have actually heard because she wrote that when she was a lot younger yeah. that maybe that is the case mm. but it was moving back to scary yep. books and Stephen King and the Institute um, this is part of a wider discussion on what makes a book scary as well so do keep those messages coming in about the last book that scared you <laughs> Faraz has just written Facebook as the last book that scared him <laughs> well said well, fair enough touche yeah. in terms of actual books uh, the- I hope he's not watching us on Facebook when he just said Awkward. Uh, Thea has reached out on social media to say that I Remember You by crime writer Ursa Sigurdardotter is a book that scared her. Um, it was a book that she actually picked up at the Lit Fest as well. Oh. Um, I had a similar experience with a new series that she started. The first book is called The Legacy. And I think she definitely has a knack of making you want to check all your doors and windows that, mm. you know, that they're locked. But I did start saving water after that uh, the dry book. Uh, that we talked about by Neil Shusterman yeah yeah, yeah. That, that was all about a massive water shortage and I, I was quite panicked for a while after that you can't talk about The Institute by Stephen King without comparing it to all of the Stephen King novels that have gone before but he's been rather prolific hasn't he and Absolutely. this is something that particular- fertile according to the dust jacket <laughs> fertile that is a really strange it's, word yeah it says here I- the, the Sunday Times called him the most fertile storytellers of the modern uh, novel. That seems a bit personal, but anyways, <laughs> Alex, you had a couple of issues with this relating to George R. R. Martin. I did. I was almost in tears, and I just want Stephen King to go and have a chat to George R. R. Martin and say, "Get writing. I can do it. Why can't you?" Because, like the millions and millions and millions of George R. R. Martin fans around the world, we just want him to finish the book. Just finish one book. Just, just please put us out of our misery, please. I think he's doing it on purpose. Well, you're probably right. He probably enjoys all our pain. But, and so uh, would Stephen King, so I don't think he'd actually want to have. But it's fascinating. If you Google, you will find uh, Stephen King, uh, George R. R. Martin interviewing Stephen King and asking him, how do you write so quickly? So it's something to, really interesting to look did, into. Did, did he have an answer? Um, he just Did said, it I, involve sitting down and writing, he just basically George? Said yes. He gets up at 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning, he sits down and he writes. Yeah. That's what he does. And he tries to, Stephen King tries to finish six pages a day. Um, George R. Martin probably can't finish six pages a year, I don't think. But uh, not. Well, yeah. that's why Stephen King's written over 80 books, which we just, we were uh, confirming, over, and yeah. it was amazing. Like, that's, a, that's a phenomenal amount of books. It is phenomenal, but hey now, hey now, everyone has their own pace, okay? <laughs> everyone has their own pace. <laughs> that's because she doesn't, it's you don't mind, you're not really that bothered about the next book, I'm, is it? I'm not. I'm you're being generous. I want to know what Daenerys Tachyrian really did. What did she really do? That's didn't what I didn't they wrap please, it up? Please. I'm, I'm not a fan, but didn't they wrap that up on the show? No, they didn't. It was just some weird, you know, Guys, once we start talking about Game of Thrones, we will not stop. Sorry. But going back to his work ethic and a link back into the Institute, I did promise you some trivia about the writing of Misery. So he and his wife were at Brown's Hotel in London and he couldn't sleep so he decided he'd get some writing done again little insights here as to why he's prolific when you know when he's got spare time he's writing mm. and the hotel pointed him to a large desk that had been the desk that Rudyard Kipling had died at right yes and that's where he started the first draft of Misery apparently what? which oh, is quite fitting even your hotel I mean I can understand <laughs> the desk he wrote at but specifically mentioning that he died although I suppose if it was Stephen King you would tell him that he died you know well, he'd, but he'd also, like that it is Rudyard Kipling so anything that Rudyard Kipling touched you would keep I guess 
Yeah, yeah it's still t- that's a tad morbid. I suppose. Mm. Mind you, I suppose if, if it was his desk, he probably did write at it uh, prior to d- being deceased upon it. But True. going back to creepy things in Indeed. the Institute by Stephen King. So, creepy governmental facility doing tests on children with psychic abilities. They treat them like test subjects, not like mm. children. It's terrible. That mm. is kind of you know terrifying to read. But the main character that we get to meet is Luke Ellis. So tell me about Luke, but also how it starts in a completely different direction and then it completely switches to the story of the government facility. That took me by surprise. Yes, and I think, well, I think one of the things about that is that it was quite odd and also it takes you a long, you don't really switch back. I mean, you sort of do, but not massively. You keep thinking uh, you're going to switch back, yes, but you don't really. Yes, but it really. doesn't. Because normally a lot of books, when there's sort of there's two different kind of characters mm. leading the narrative, they sort of go between them, and that doesn't really happen. Um, not a lot, anyway. But uh, So I, I think that really underpins the idea that... And I think brings you... Because obviously the story is about these kids who have... So Luke, in particular, is a, a sort of a genius, very, very clever guy, but very down-to-earth. He's been raised by these parents who you know, not indulgent. They're very nice. They're very lovely. They have a very loving relationship. They've encouraged him to do very normal things as well as not stifling his intellect and allowing him to explore that, which obviously he's very, very keen to do. He is. He does have a slight awareness of supposedly he um, has telekinesis so he can move things with his mind, but not massively, just tiny little, you know, the odd door and things like that. So they've sort of done that. Anyway, we we meet him when he's his he's in a special school already and they're saying you know he's 12 but he should go to college because uh, mm. he's that clever and not just parents, one college two two colleges yep and two pretty Impressive. good ones yep uh, and then so and he you know we see very quickly how much kind of love and, and normalcy he has within his life and his parents and then that is suddenly shattered very very quickly and I think that was quite shocking um, but obviously it's there that he's been brought to this place there where they're supposedly they're not really interested in the fact that he's clever they're interested in the fact that he has telekinesis or potentially other psych- psychic abilities and essentially this institute wants to utilise these children in, in a certain way and I think while people that's a concept that people might you know sort of find a little hard to grasp or believe because you you don't necessarily maybe you don't think anyone's psychic and obviously there are a lot of very fake psychics around i think the 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 role of the beginning of the book is to point out that there are certain decisions that we make in life certain choices that lead us in a direction uh, that we never would have anticipated so the first thing that happens is that the cop tim who uh, jameson decides to give up his seat on an airplane and it happens straight away and the entire rest of the story would not have happened if he didn't make that decision and he didn't make it straight away he thought you know he sort of he was given lots of opportunities and I think they then tie that to the fact that you know psychic ability or instinct or gut gut feeling um, are all elements of our capacities of, of being human that we're actually not necessarily aware of and we you know we chalk things up to deja vu or you know chance but if you think about you know where you are right now the job you have the person you married the place you live you could actually potentially trace that back to the tiniest decision that happened in your life you know you decided to eat lunch at a different restaurant and you ran into you overheard someone talking about Dubai and you thought oh and it sparked your interest and then when someone else mentioned it because you'd already heard it it was you know so sometimes the tiniest decisions that we make can have these huge impacts and I think it immediately pulls you in as a reader throughout the story because you're kind of like you just never know 
what decision you have made or about to make could impact it and whether your subconscious will send you in the right direction. Mm. And, and that and, kind of is that sort of psychic element. And also just within the book and the way it's written as well. So he starts with this Tim character who gives mm. up his seat and and that's quite beautifully described. You can, Delta flight, yeah. probably you, a wise you can, idea really. You can picture it, picture the character. He becomes a secure, <laughs> security guard, like he's familiarizing himself with his beat. Mm. And then it just completely switches to Luke Ellis's story, who's this 12 year old who's super mm. smart and everything that then happens in the, in the government institute. And it doesn't, you don't figure out how the two no. tie together for a very long time. Which I think is great. And you also learn about the Institute at the same pace as Luke does, which I think is very, you know, yeah. which is very clever. So you're not ahead of him. For me, um, I mean, I, I think it's a really good book. Mm. I agree. It's a really good book and I definitely think you should go out and read it. I Whether agree. you're a big fan of Stephen King or not, you should pick this up, yep. even if it's the first ever Stephen King book. Absolutely. But for me, there is a couple of big problems. Mm. I, I think Tim Jamison, the policeman, is set up in such an interesting way and we're just at the start of his story and then we leave him for so long. I really found that um, that that disappointing. Or I, I wanted more of a connection between the two stories. But also, for something to be really scary, you've got to believe it. You have to believe the situation is real, and you have to about be, care about the characters. And I have to say, I mean, I, I I really enjoyed reading it. I really enjoyed following the little twists and turns and all the characters. And I think all the kids are all beautifully born. Mm. Like Kalisha is a beautiful yeah. character. There's some beautiful characters through the whole thing. But I just never, ever bought the fact that, I mean, when Luke's parents are killed quite early in the book, I'm not spoiling anything. When When that happens, I didn't believe that. And I just never buy the whole idea of the Institute. It doesn't work for me. I just don't believe the facility could exist or would exist. I believe Stranger Things, which is really weird because it has sort of things from the other <laughs> world, but I, do, I didn't believe this setup. And I think it's because Tim Jamison's stuff is so mundane and everyday and so 100% believable that I didn't then believe the sudden switch to the science fiction sort of fantasy nature of the Institute. See, I don't think there was not. I didn't. I definitely didn't think there was a lot of science fiction related mm. to that. I think the Tim Jameson character, I think, is very good at pulling you into the story because he is a very sort of average guy. But you obviously get the sense that he's a really good guy, and that's something that you know everyone wants to kind of go to. So it was something that you could you share in. But I think, do I think that there's a shadowy organization that's kidnapping kids and um, that? you know, testing on their psychic quality. Possibly not, but there also really could be. It might not necessarily be related to their psychic ability, but, you know, there are thousands and thousands of people that go missing every year and you never really know why, especially in places like America and, you know, where there's lots of guns and people can get killed. And I think it is, I mean, I'm not a big government deep state person <laughs> at all. I'm really not. And I think that's all a bit silly. But I think... There are people people in the world that are capable of true horror and true evil. And if they can see, you see it in smaller circumstances all the time. If you look at, you know, you see these guys in the Senate in the, U, in the US, in the Republican Party, who know in their bones that there's certain things that President Trump does that is awful. But in an effort to hang on to power, they will justify the most disgusting behavior, the most horrendous actions, because they don't want to lose the, their position, their status, their power, you know, their power, whatever it might be. And if you think about it, if, if, if we're even, if, if humans are even capable of that small amount of kind of, you know, ignorance of other people's suffering, 
why on earth wouldn't people who wanted to make money or, or kill people or save the world or whatever it is be capable of doing this as well? Did so, you believe the Institute? Did you believe it could exist? I don't have... I, I'm, we're going to have to pop in a book right now. <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> um, I found it as believable as Stranger Things. Okay. Basically. Yeah. Um, I, I actually... And I agree with you. In terms of like the Institute, I found Stranger Things more believable because they aren't able to... I think it's keeping it a secret for as long as they did was the thing that I didn't believe. I think that's very possible. People tend to ignore what's not in their backyard. Mm, I don't know. But just very finally, who would you recommend this to? Do you think traditional fans of Stephen King will definitely want to pick this up? Or uh, think- I, yeah, That's actually quite <laughs> tough, actually. I, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, it is. I think it's quite a departure. Mm. Um, although but the thing is, he is a, he, uh, he, he's a very varied writer. So if mm. you are a devoted Stephen King, you have read... A, a, you know, a diverse range of what he's done. Mm-hmm. So actually, yes, I would. I think it's right. And I think it's also, as you were saying earlier, a very good book for people who've never read him. I, th- I think it is. And it's almost like I don't, I, listen, I'm sure he hasn't done this consciously, but it's almost like he's he's welcoming a new generation because mm. a lot of the characters are 15, 14. And I think, you know, even if you're at school and you're like 16 or 17, I think this, and you've never heard or read mm. Stephen King, this could be a book to pick up. And maybe, okay, it's a little bit scary and maybe you want to go through it with your parents. But, you know, it's really, it's, it's, it's a great introduction to Stephen King and then you'll go back and read mm. his other books and be uh, just be amazed by his scale of work and the breadth of his work. Mm. And I, yeah, we were just saying we definitely think there might be a sequel in its future. It's quite heavy. I definitely think um, you, you'd need to be definitely teenage level to, to start it because yeah. it is quite um, dense. Um, so so that I think younger kids might find that quite tough going. But mm. um, otherwise, I think, I mean, I devoured it very, very quickly once I got into it, definitely. Great story recommended here on Talking of Books. That's the Institute by Stephen King. And it is out in bookstores if you want to go ahead and pick up a copy. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.